You know, this morning we're going to begin a, uh, a two-part series in the life of an individual whose name is Samson. Uh, my name is John Shelton. I have the honor, you heard a little bit of Sarah, I have the honor of serving as the associate pastor here at Fort Caroline, and uh, I am uh, honored as well to be with you this morning as we uh, not only, and I hope you have joined in with us in praying for Pastor Ricky as he's out on sabbatical, uh, and uh, pray for him that he'll allow this time to be a time to unplug uh, and to refresh uh, not only uh, in his spiritual walk with the Lord, but also uh, a time for him to gain clarity and, and understanding as we look at what does the future look like for us, not only as we reach our community, but how can that future and how can that vision uh, be, yeah, be one that mobilizes the masses, that allows every one of us to know that we have a part in God's future, and to know as well that there's a lost world, excuse me, that's, uh, that really has never heard uh, the, uh, the life-changing message of Jesus. And help us as well to be sensitive to those, those kinds of conversations. So pray for him. Uh, the prayer guide is, uh, is both Craig and Sarah uh, in the announcement said. We have some paper ones in the back. Go to fcbc.life and you can find it there in a card. You can download it in PDF form or however you choose to do it. I just urge you and, and really plead with you to do it. But to spend the next 30 days praying and interceding, not only in your walk with the Lord, but to interceding on how God wants to use us uh, to impact this community as we love God, love others, serve the world uh, in this area. So excited to, to be with you today as we start a new series, uh, and it's just two weeks long. We're going to look at the beginning of, uh, of Samson's life, and we're going to look at the end of Samson's life. But before we do that, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to focus you, and I think we're going to have the verse on the screen, and it's also, if you go to scbc.life, you can go to sermons, you go to sermon notes, uh, there are sermon notes that are there, and you can insert text into there, and then you can email them to yourself uh, and follow along. It's a verse that, uh, that I think follows along with the title of today's message, and it's a parent's greatest joy having a child, and the verse is Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that is a fascinating verse. In fact, probably many of you, when I read that verse, you may feel a sense of, boy, I, I know that's true. But for me personally, you know, we tried as best we could as parents to, to apply the truths of that. Or maybe you're brand new parents and you're saying, you know, if I'll, uh, I'll apply these verses, I'll apply the truth. If I train up our child in the way he or she should go, when he or she is old, he will not depart. Future tense verb, in the future, they will not depart from it. Uh, and I would say to you that there's elements of truth to that. The scripture is completely true from cover to cover. But what I would also say to you is that many of the Proverbs, and this is one, are axioms axioms rather than claimed exact spiritual truth because we all know of people who have been raised up in church raised up with spiritual impact and influence by their parents but when they launched out in life they chose to live all the rest of their life or some chapters of their life on their own now if we took this verse to be literally absolutely true in what it claims then in all factualness, that would not happen, but we know it does happen. Why? Because every one of us in this room can hear something and choose to do something other. 
Every one of us in this room can hear the truth proclaimed in God's word and choose to live in a way that's opposite from it. And probably many of you, like me, have done that in chapters of your life. But you know, we're going to look into the life of, of a couple in the book of Judges who is named, dad's name is Manoah, mom's name is unknown. She's the wife of Manoah. And I think when they would look at that verse, they would say, okay, yeah, it kind of worked out like that, but boy, we had a lot of hurt in between. Because even though we heard from God that this son of ours that we're about to predict is going to have and we will have, boy, were there some rocky years. Can I tell you that I remember like yesterday uh, when we had our first child. Hey, how many of you have children? You remember your first child, when you had your first child, those, those early moments? And there's a lot of wives that are going, you remember. <laughs> I do. We were in Key West, Florida then. I was in the Navy. I was in that yacht club for 20 years. And uh, we, uh, we were stationed in Key West. Everybody, somebody has to do it, right, then. Uh, and uh, our, our son was born uh, in uh, Florida Keys Memorial Hospital. And, and I remember 20 hours of labor Pam went through before they said, he's got to come and we're going to put you to sleep and he's coming. And guys, I just got to tell you, you know, what she went through and, and you know if you've been there with your wife, if we had to, if, if we men had to have children, there'd be a lot less population growth in the country today. <laughs> especially after 20 hours. I mean, I was there rubbing her back. It was about all I could do. She had lower back uh, labor. And all I could do was, and I thought my arm was going to fall off, but I dare not say, honey, I think my arm's going to fall off. It's hurting so bad. Uh-uh, that's an off-limits topic. And I remember when he was born, I, I remember the, uh, the doctor bringing him out because I couldn't be in there because they just whisked away and out came a boy. And I remember that just like it was yesterday, and uh, we had agreed on the name of Jonathan, and, uh, and I remember, uh, now how do you spell his name? And I said, you know, uh, J-O-N-A-T-H-O-N, and that's how I thought it should have been spelled. So when, they, when Pam and I got back together again, uh, after she came out of the general anesthesia, and they, uh, they, you know, they introduced Pam to Jonathan, Jonathan said, hi, Jonathan, yeah. It was, she said, uh, oh, he looks so great. And then the nurse came in and said, I just want to confirm on the birth certificate his, his name. And I said, J-O-N-A-T-H-O-N. And Pam looked at me and looked at them. And she's just coming out of this general anesthesia, right? And no, it's not. <laughs> well, it's too late now. They've already got it typed up. Said it should have been J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. An A, an O. Who cares? Now, remember, I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. You know, the, the reality is, is there, if you've had children for a while and they're grown, there's a lot of water under the bridge since then, isn't there? If you have your first child or you're about to have your first child or you're about to have your second child, you know that life is different for the second child than it was for the first child. I remember as well when we brought Jonathan home and He's up to the, uh, he grows up to the point that he's actually able to 
pick up food with his hands and put it in his mouth kind of thing. So we're all sitting at the table and, and we give him some Cheerios or something like that. So he's picking it up and we had our first choking moment. He puts it in his and he can't breathe. And we're all like freaking out. We don't know what to do. Uh, we're thinking, no, do I put my finger in? Do I? And finally he dislodges and off we go. Amber comes along. That's our daughter. 20 months later, Amber has her first choking moment. We're eating. We just pick out the hand, pull it out, and just don't stop. You know, you, you, you learn how to do this stuff. But your first child, it's, it's such an experiment. You, everything's new, isn't it? Everything is new. All of the first this or the first that or the first 104 degree fever and you're wondering are they going to melt or die or how do we do it and and all of those challenges are there and I can't help but think that this couple we're about to read about experienced many of those things because you see they like many of you maybe were or still are were not able to have children they were together and we don't know for how long but they were together and they were not able to have children. So let me focus you in, if we can, to Judges chapter 13 as we talk about the beginning of the life of Samson. In fact, today's title and the message is A Parent's Greatest Joy, Having a Child. Judges 13, verses 1 and 2. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zoar, Zora, excuse me, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. I, I want you sometime to, to read through the book of Judges. The book of Judges really, to me, is a pretty sad book, and it's, the, it's right after Joshua. And if you read Joshua chapter 1, you see Joshua 1, 1 begins with the death of Moses. Judges 1.1 begins with reporting the death of Joshua. In Joshua 1, Moses is off the scene and God tells Joshua to be courageous, to take the city. There's a lot of activity. In Judges 1, Joshua is off the scene and people are just trying to clamor around because they have taken a lot of the land, but they have also not done what they were supposed to do. You see, if we read through the book of Joshua, you see very clearly what they should have done is they should have taken the land and they should have eliminated those who would be their spiritual adversaries like the Philistines, but instead they made accommodations. They didn't do what they were supposed to do, and as a result, we're right here. The children of Israel did evil again, means they were spiritually disobedient, and God gave them in to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. About all the life of Samson is going to be spent under Philistines' occupation. Now, what I would tell you is, is this, that the condition of Manoah's wife and being barren is very similar spiritually to the nation of Israel. They are spiritually barren to the true and living God. There is no 
positive spiritual activity. And if you read Judges chapter 12, maybe sometime this afternoon, you may end up even more confused because you're going to see an individual who's a judge by the name of Jephthah, Jephthah excuse me, that makes a vow and you're thinking, how in the world could God ever permit something like that? And then we get to Judges 13 and you see, you know what, this whole cycle of spiritual accommodation, it seems to mark out all the way through. They're, they're going on mission with God. Henry Blackaby uses a model that they're going on mission with God. They, they depart from God because they've sinned against God. They continue in that pattern for a period of time until God brings punishment into their lives. He allows them to get to the place that they either repent or they perish and then they return back on mission with God. In the case of judges, it's because they bring a new judge onto the scene and he takes them in a path for a period in time. There are positive stories. The life of Gideon initially is a positive story. It doesn't end well. There are positive stories by a judge by the name of Deborah uh, that the reason she rises to power, honestly, is because the men would not take spiritual leadership and wouldn't be the leaders they were meant to be. And Deborah comes to the scene. And, and all these things are happening through the book of Judges. But we have a couple that want to have a baby. And they can't have a baby. They're barren. Barrenness of life, barrenness spiritually, but what happens? Well, let's look at verses uh, 3 through 7. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Let, let, me, let me just pause this just for a second. Two things. One is the activity of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament times and when it's listed as the angel of the Lord or the angel of God, it is truly many theologians, and I'm not a theologian, but I do subscribe to this, believe that this is a, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus as the eternal Son of God. He dons flesh. He, he does things that only God would do. He, he takes on things that only God could take on. He predicts things that only God could predict. He accepts worship. He steers the future as though God were speaking because God was speaking. And he comes and he says to her things that have been heard before that you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, how many times do you think that she has wanted to hear those words? <laughs> Someone's walking up to her and saying, you know what? You're going to have a baby boy one of these days. And nothing ever happens. And years go by. This time, though, is going to be different because it's spoken by someone that can make a difference. You see, when Jesus as the pre-incarnate Son of God spoke into the life of Manoah's wife, he was speaking a future that he was already seeing. He, he could already see Samuel in the future. He was speaking of a future that was about to happen. She couldn't see. She could not see this at all. And so he gives conditions. It says, therefore, be careful and drink no, strong, no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Let me just stop there for a second. You know what this is? This is prenatal instructions that she's given and a promise 
that your son is not just going to be an ordinary son. Now, we don't have any ordinary children, do you? You don't have any ordinary children. My son is just ordinary, you know, just kind of common, run-of-the-mill. None of our kids are ordinary. Every one of you in this room would, would defend the specialness, the uniqueness of your child. But this child is going to be different. It's going to be different from birth because mom has been charged with specific prenatal care that she is supposed to observe because this young man is going to be set apart as a Nazarite, a set-apart one from the womb. In fact, if you read, if you take this afternoon and you read through number six, you see the whole set-apartness of a Nazarite. We see someone like John the Baptist that was set apart from the womb. We see individuals that, that practice this Nazarite process. Even Paul took on himself for a period in time a Nazarite vow, a vow to cut his head and to uh, cut his head, cut his hair and to withdraw from drink and all those things in order to, to accommodate, to make a, a spiritual close decision for God. He pushed those things aside. This young man is going to be different because he is to be a Nazarite from the womb to the tomb all of his life. He's to be set apart for a unique purpose. What was that unique purpose? Well, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And, and he does. He does it in a different way. He doesn't mass together armies. He, he doesn't, he's not this miraculous army leader. He does it in, in, in you, if you read Judges 14 and Judges 15 this next week, we're going to cap this off in Judges 16 on next Sunday, you'll see that there are times of isolated pockets of destruction that he brings on them. But I want you to put yourself here as a mom. You don't have a child yet. You haven't had a child. But you hear from the angel of the Lord that you're not really certain if it is the angel of the Lord. You don't know who it is, but someone who is speaking to you about something that's going to happen in the future that you've wanted to happen all your life. All your life you've wanted to, all of your married life, you've wanted to have a baby. You not only hear you're going to have a baby, but you hear your baby is going to be the one that's going to begin the process to shake the bonds off of the Philistines. Then the woman came to her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. It was like, whoa, very awesome. It really means probably was deity. It, it probably was deity. But uh, we capture that with very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me. But he said to me, and she repeats, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God, set apart from God, from the womb to the days of his death. All of his life... He is going to be set apart for God's great purposes. And she has a part in this. Uh, the, the wife tells the husband this, and the husband did exactly what all of us do. I believe you, baby. <laughs> I don't know. Because let's go on to verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to, to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and let us and teach us what we are to do with a child who will be born. Let me stop there. 
Now, it very well could be that not only did he believe his sweetheart, but I, I want you to think with me. I don't know how long they've been married, but what I do know is that this is amazing news. It's not only amazing that we're going to have a baby, but it's amazing that this child, this child that we don't yet have, but we're going to have, is going to be set apart. We've got to pull back and things, and oh, by the way, you've got to help me do this. And this boy is going to begin the process of delivering us from the hands of the Philistines. Now, I don't know about you, but if Pam, my wife, came home and told me that, I'd say, where is that guy? <laughs> you know, I believe you, baby, but where, where is he right now? Were you out in the sun too long? Is, is that what's happened? So what does he do? He prays. This is the only time in Scripture that I can find where we see Manoah praying. And what does he pray? In fact, he prays not only for him to come back, but why does he want him to come back? Because we, we, we want you to teach us what we are to do with a child who will be born. In fact, it's a desperate prayer. It's a prayer that says, we need help. This is a special child. We need help. And we need not only your help, but we need help to be able to do this right because this is too important. We don't want to mess this up. And can I tell you something? That as a parent that has now adult children, I can still remember this feeling of overwhelming, like I don't really know what to do when we came home with both children. Even though they were 20 months apart, Pam and I had been married at this point. When, Jonathan, uh, when we had Jonathan, we were married for seven years, so we knew each other real well. But all of a sudden, we have this brand new baby, and I'm in the military, in uh, gone a lot. We were in Key West, it's gone a lot. In fact, when Amber was born, I got to see her in the hospital, but I had to leave immediately. So when Pam came home, I wasn't there. So we were gone to see, and eventually I came back, and Amber's like months old beyond this point. Uh, and so, yeah, I understand. We don't want to mess this up. There's so much at stake. But can I say something to you? I am so thankful that we as a church are passionate about partnering with you to help you raise up those children. We're not a replacement for you. God has never designed us to be a replacement for parents. But what he has called us to do is partner with you to help you to do what seems like at times is just overwhelming. Like you don't know, you get into, you kind of like when you get it down about third or fourth grade, then comes fourth and fifth grade and sixth grade, and it's just like, are you my child? Are you that same child? And then we, we kind of tamps down a little bit. All of a sudden, we get to 7th and 8th grade. And then we get to high school, and you're thinking, you said what? You want to do what? We need help, folks. We need help from the Scriptures because we need to be people that understand that the, the decisions that we make in life have outcomes. Your, your devotion to the Lord will be tested. It will be tested by the decisions that you make in life. All of us, every one of us, individually, that your devotion to the Lord may be great, but it's going to be tested by the decisions that you make in life, that I make in life, to be able to help my son, to help my daughter to grow up in a home that honors God, that allows God to be first. We partner with you to do that. We provide you a number of tools, but we are not here to replace you. Uh, that's, that's my staticness. 
the, uh, the, we're not here to replace you. We're, we're here to partner with you in this whole process. And that's exactly what Manoah was saying. God, I, I don't know how to do this. I need help. Send that guy back again to tell us how we're supposed to do this. Let's read on verse 9. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the man ran quickly and told her, so excuse me, so the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went and after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to, uh, to this woman? Don't you find that interesting that, that you didn't say, that spoke to my wife? I don't know, don't read too much into that. And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true. Notice he didn't say, you know, if this, if this kind of happens, he says, when your words come true, Look what he says. What is to be the manner of the child's life? And what is his mission? What is, how are we supposed to raise him? And what is he going to do? What is his life going to turn out to be? The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Uh, she may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, let anything unclean. All that I've commanded, let her observe. He just said, you know what? What I told to your wife, that. <laughs> exactly what I told her, that right there. And oh, by the way, you need to help her do that. You need to partner with you. You need to make sure that you're not a stumbling block for her when she has put this stuff aside, when she is feeling like, I don't know if you're pulling with me, you need to partner with her. Prenatal care all the way through delivery, you need to rise up and be the dad you need to be. And I know you don't know how to be a dad, but we're going to provide you instructions to be able to do that. And God is going to walk along beside you all the way, and you need to partner with her as she does this. Verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. Look what's happening here. Manoah does what's normal Eastern culture. He said that we've had a visitor. We're not sure where he is. But Eastern culture says, let's have a meal together. He declines the meal, but he redirects to an act of worship. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? Again, he didn't say, So if your words come true, when your words come true, may, we may honor you. Look at what he answer, how he answers. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, we've heard this before. Isaiah 9, 6. You want to write that down maybe as a good cross-reference here because it is a predictive verse that, the, that is talking about the name of the Messiah and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there are many that believe that this is a direct, again, point of who is talking to Manoah at this point. So Manoah took the goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. He does, doesn't he? The God who works wonders. And he's about to work a wonder in their life because they have wanted a child for all the years that they've been together and they're going to have one. Manoah and his wife are watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven, normal fire, the angel of the Lord 
went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces onto the ground. This would have been a very unique moment. So they start the fire under the offering, which was common. So as this fire is coming up, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord went into the fire, and what we'll read a little bit longer was no longer seen. You know, in Jesus' case, the offering, the Lamb of God, uh, he was the offering, and he was the offerer in this case. In this case, we see them offering and offering up, and the one who has pointed to this also was taken into this and disappeared in their presence, and they never saw him again. This was a unique visit. This is a unique promise. Then the angel of the Lord appeared no more. In reading verse 21, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that the angel of the Lord, that, that that was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands and shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. He was certainly absolutely afraid of what they had just seen because he knew what he had heard and what he had read and that if you look on God, you can't look on God and live. He was the voice of fear. His wife was the, vo the, the voice of reason. Listen, if he's going to kill us, how, how are we going to accomplish what he's just told us that we're about to do? You see, you and I can get here every now and then. We can allow fear to be the dominant voice in our lives, can't we? You, you, you do. You allow, when something is proposed to you that's so large and you're thinking, that can never happen. There is no way that that can ever happen. There's a contemporary song today that talks about fear as a liar. Let me read you just a few lyrics. Love the song. It says, when he told you, talking about fear, personifying fear, when he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough. You see, that's what fear does. Fear keeps us from, it robs us of the joy that God wants us to experience because they had just been told this amazing thing that's going to happen in their lives and now they're afraid and they're wondering, is it really going to happen? Let's look at verse 24 as we bring this to a close. Verse 24, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The word means sun or sunny, like sunny day. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanidan between Zorah and Eshcol. That, that place, that location would be one you'd want to write down because we're going to see it next week. Because the very place that the Lord began to stir in this young man is going to be the place that we're going to see next week that he's going to be buried in. So they have a child. They've named him Samson. God is allowing him to grow up in a home. And as best we can tell, he has loving parents that are trying to do the right things, trying to set him off in a chart of life, 
to get ready to launch. And, and they're doing everything we believe that they're, they've been told to do. He's not able to do these things as a little boy growing up. Now he's a young man, and the Spirit of the Lord is filling him, working on him. And he's beginning to launch out. They, they're ready to launch him out in life. And they have such hope, such amazing possibilities of this young man as he grows into adulthood and he leaves the house for the first time and, and you wonder, did they wave at him as he left? And he, yeah, he left. And then we have Judges 14 real quick. Samson went down to Timnah and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines and he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the, of the Philistines at Timnah uh, now get her, for, get her for me as my wife. But the father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman of the daughters of the relatives among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Listen to me on this. The devotion and the foundation that you lay in the Lord will be tested by the decisions that you make in life. It's going to be tested. And you see, as this young man heads out in life, we're going to see over and over and over again that even though he was equipped with all of the right things to be able to live a life that honored God on his own through a majority of life, he chose to try and run away from God. And ran away from God, and God used him to accomplish things. But what could Samson's story have been if Samson would have walked with God all of his life and then was no more? And I say this to you, and I'm very careful and very sensitive because I don't have this all figured out. I'm not a perfect parent. And we do the best that we can to equip our kids as they get older, and then we launch them out into life. And our prayer and our hope is is that they are going to model the beliefs that we've poured into them, right? That's our prayer. And when your children depart and they don't, sometimes the liar tells us that you failed. You failed as a parent. You failed to bring them up right. You failed to, part into, to pour into their lives. And all I tell you is fear is a liar. The enemy is a liar in your life. If you can look back and you know that you poured into the life of your son or your daughter or your grandson. Maybe it's your grandson or your granddaughter that's taking paths right now that is breaking your heart. Don't give up. Don't give up on them. Love them like God loves you. How does he love you? He loves you unconditionally. Man, we all mess up. Every one of us in this room does things, says things, or thinks things that aren't pleasing to God, and we call that sin, right? And God doesn't say to you or to me, you did that five times before, you're done. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he is always pursuing you. And maybe every now and then we need to come back and say, God, I want to pursue you like you're pursuing me. I have a relationship with you, but I want to run fast after you for the rest of my life. Come back next week as we look at the close of Samson's life because he doesn't run from God forever. And you know, you can't run from God forever. Eventually, there'll come a time in your life or my life that you need to stop running. 
And maybe today could be that day. Maybe today, for the very first time in your life, you said, I've heard what I need to do, and I need to stop running today. I don't think there's any accident that you're here. I think you're here because God has an appointment for you and me and every one of us. Over 40 years ago, I I contacted the person who led me to the Lord in July of 1979. 40 years ago in July, I don't know exactly when, somewhere in the end of July, he led me to the Lord, and I, told, I texted him. I said, Bill, thank you for caring enough to share the gospel with me. You see, every one of us in this room, every one of us, is building a foundation of faith in our lives. Everyone. And often that will be tested by the decisions we make in our life. It's learning how to make those right decisions, isn't it? It's, it's taking one step in front of the other, so that I may grow up in my faith in Christ. And I don't know where you are. Maybe, maybe right now that this is your first time really of kind of thinking about anything like this spiritually. But I just want you to know I am so glad you're here. Of all the places you could have been, you chose to be here. Maybe you need to make a decision today. Maybe the decision you need to make today is to develop, begin a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe the decision you need to make today is to go ahead and say, you know, to commit together as mom and dad that we are going to invest in our boys, our girls, our boys and girls, whatever children you have. We're going to help them grow up to be the kids that honor God with the rest of their life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to not only look into the life of Samson at his beginning, but also to know that, God, that it's you that we need most. And that the foundations that we lay in you, we know that they will be tested. But God, at the end of our life, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found uh, as individuals that have fallen and gotten back up and continue to walk. And, and God, maybe have turned away at times, but have turned back to you. And, and know that the culmination of our life is, is we started well, we may have messed up, but we finished well. Help us, God, to, to look to you and to look to maybe our, our family ministry or to look to our group's ministry uh, to be able to gain the tools that we need to be the parents that we need to be. Because, God, you never designed us to go through life on our own. So we lift this day before you. We pray, God, that you would use us to make a difference in the world that you've given us where we don't want to mess this up. We need your help. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.